0: Hello! Welcome back to Everything Is Interesting, the show where we dig into science and we have some fun along the way. I'm Kira Kleinberg and I'm Kira Lindenberg. Previously on Everything Is Interesting, we took you on a journey to better understand what makes viruses so invasive to the human body and why a particular virus, called HIV, is one of the
1: most dangerous and formidable viruses of them all. On today's episode, we're coming back to this topic in a little more of an optimistic light. On today's episode, we're going to take a look at the recent successes we've had in treating the HIV infection and what possibilities for fighting against it are on the table for the future.
0: With us today in studio is our friend and fellow science enthusiast, Jill Guptenaporn. Did I say your name correctly? Yeah, you got it. Thank you. I mean, you're welcome.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Jill, we're really glad you're here with us today. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm very excited to be here. So for everybody, here's a quick refresher on viruses from the last episode. Viruses are basically just tiny strands of molecules, little packets of DNA surrounded by a protein shield. To reproduce, they have to invade cells and hijack their DNA copying centers, turning them into little virus factories. These bad viruses, when they're
0: finished, they destroy the cell and move on to the next one. And every new viral strand that gets made is one more little invading hijacker and one more cell that's going to get broken into and killed. In this way, the infection spreads rapidly
1: and the virus reproduces with gusto. The human immunodeficiency virus, or HIV for short, is a particularly formidable viral foe as it not only hijacks human cells in order to reproduce itself, but it attacks the very cells that our bodies use to defend itself against it, our immune cells.
2: Insidious.
1: Mm Mm-hmm take out our immune system, and the
0: virus is able to invade aggressively without much resistance. And it also leaves our human bodies open to other types of diseases and infections.
1: The HIV virus is also difficult to treat because unlike other viruses, HIV is what is known as a retrovirus. It's not actually made of DNA, but of RNA, which is like the instruction molecules used to transcribe DNA into proteins and amino acids and the other important building blocks of our bodies. And being RNA gives HIV an evolutionary advantage.
0: Because, okay, in order to get into the nucleus of the cell and, you know, infiltrate the DNA, it first has to get transcribed from its RNA form into DNA. And transcription means that there is an opportunity for HIV to mutate. Every mutation makes the virus more difficult to pin down and more difficult to find an antiviral treatment.
2: It's like trying to kill the Borg from Star Trek. They're constantly adapting their shield technology to the frequencies of the phasers trying to take them down. So no matter how many times you change your weapon against them, they've already morphed into something that can resist it.
1: Oh Yes, exactly. This is why the Borg were just like the worst enemy ever and no one could destroy them. Is that why you guys are friends? Because of the Borg? Yes, yeah. thank you, Borg. Because of, because of your
0: love for them. The Star Trek and the Borg. The Borg brought us together. They are pretty badass. I do.
1: The Borg. I want a t-shirt that says that. <laughs> yeah. The Borg brought us together. It, well, regardless, HIV is terrifying and it's incredibly challenging for those working to come up with viable treatments for it. But as daunting a task as it is, it's also not an impossible
0: one. In fact, just this year, the second ever patient has had the virus successfully eradicated from their bodies. That means that now two people have been cured of HIV. That's huge.
1: It absolutely is. So let's take a look at how the treatments for HIV have developed and how we got to this monumental achievement.
0: When the HIV epidemic first began, contracting the virus was pretty much like receiving a death sentence. Thanks to all of HIV's wily invasive ways, and also largely in part to the political stigma and injustice linking HIV to the LGBTQ community that withheld a lot of necessary funding. Crap. Yeah. It was so because of that, it was several decades before any adequate medical treatment was actually developed for this
2: extremely terrible disease. A total travesty and an embarrassment.
1: Agreed. If we'd banded together at the onslaught of the epidemic supporting science to, you know, find treatments that work, many, many lives could have been saved. Yeah,
0: that is true. And in the late 1990s, we finally began to make progress. Between the years 1996 and 2011, the total life expectancy for, let's say, a 20-year-old person who was first infected with HIV jumped from a total
1: of 39 years to 70 years. That's pretty significant. Through lots of hard work, dedicated researchers were able to develop antiviral drugs that stop the virus in its tracks. They work by inhibiting HIV in several different stages of its life cycle, effectively keeping it from being copied by the cells in your own body. There are also drugs that prevent HIV from attaching to the
0: surface of the white blood cells in the first place. Um, If you missed the last episode, the way that HIV infiltrates our immune cells is by attaching to this uh, transport protein called CCR5. It's basically like a little mail slot opening uh, where HIV kind of shape shifts and like slips right through it into the cell. Right. It's like the little window into the cell that the virus uses to gain access. hmm Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Other HIV medications go straight for the virus's ability to turn from RNA to DNA, um, which, if stopped, prevents them from gaining access to the nucleus and uh, therefore the replicating factory of the cell.
1: These antiviral drugs are the ones that disable the reverse transcriptase molecule that is the thing that transcribes the RNA strand of HIV into a strand of nucleus-friendly DNA. So stopping it at this point means that the HIV virus can never enter the host cell's nucleus and be copied by the cell's own machinery. And still others sabotage the
0: enzymes that allow HIV to cut into and infiltrate the host cell's DNA strand, because if the HIV can't become part of your strand of DNA, then it
2: can't get copied. So thanks to all these treatments, the outlook for both the length and quality of life for someone who contracts HIV is a lot more positive than it used to be.
1: It is. It really is. Each of these treatments represents a breakthrough in the battle against HIV. But a treatment is still not the same as a cure. No matter how many antiviral drugs
0: we make to help fight back, the immune system of a person who's infected with HIV is still under constant attack from the virus. While the treatments we have mitigate the destruction HIV is able to cause over time, they still aren't as good as just being able to, like, knock the virus out completely.
2: Right. It's like being under siege versus winning the war. Treatments are like the weapons that keep the invading army from completely destroying the castle but a cure would be eradicating the invaders completely. Yeah. yeah.
1: And on top of that, even a well-defended siege can't necessarily last forever. You know, even if they're diligent about medications and do everything else right, some people who have the HIV infection will still end up contracting full-blown AIDS, which is the point where the helper T cell count in their blood is so low that the immune system can't effectively fight off even the most common diseases like the flu. Meaning that their body is so immune deficient that it is just left wide open for a myriad of other pathogens. So the search for a way to cure HIV continues. And in the last 10 years or so, there have been two significant breakthroughs. One sunny and unsuspecting day in 2007, a doctor in Berlin stumbled upon a cure that was able to eradicate HIV completely from his patient's body. Except the hitch was that cure would only work for that one specific person. That person
0: was Timothy Ray Brown. Diagnosed with HIV in 1995, he had been on a steady stream of antiretroviral drugs for over a decade. Then in an upsetting twist for Brown, he was diagnosed with another deadly disease, acute myeloid leukemia. This is a type of cancer that specifically affects disease-fighting white blood cells, which, as you remember, he already doesn't have a lot of.
2: Was the cancer a side effect of having HIV? I mean, he had been on the antiretroviral drugs for a decade before he even found out he had cancer. Are they related?
1: They don't think so. The doctors are, are pretty sure there's no correlation between the HIV infection or the, its treatment and the myeloid leukemia development.
0: To fight this new disease, he and his team of doctors decided to try a pretty brutal treatment. They would knock out his entire immune system, essentially destroying it. And then they would attempt to rebuild it using donated stem cells. Sounds risky.
1: Oh, yeah, it certainly is. If something were to go wrong, like the stem cells didn't take hold or, and began to rebuild his immune system, then the treatment could also mean a complete death sentence for Brown. But he decided to take the risk.
0: And as it turns out, taking this risk is what saved his life, not only
1: from the leukemia, but also from HIV. It is pretty incredible. So as we've discussed, the most insidious thing about the human immunodeficiency virus is that it hijacks the body's own immune system and uses it kind of like a weapon. So in the case of Tim Brown, the Berlin patient, by trying to get rid of the leukemia by knocking out his immune system, his doctors also found a way to destroy the primary weapon of HIV. So how did they do it?
0: Well, first, they had to target the specific type of cell where the cancer had taken hold, and these are called
1: myeloid cells. Myeloid cells are actually precursor cells to lots of other blood cell types, or what you might call a stem cell. Myeloid cells are fabricated in the marrow of our bones, and at first, they all kind of look the same. But in their DNA is the code to
0: take on all kinds of different specifications. So maybe this myeloid cell will grow up to be an oxygen-carrying red blood cell, and this Other myeloid cell will be a parasite-fighting eosinophil, or this one will become a blood-clotting megakaryocyte. Or maybe this one will travel to one of the lymphatic organs like the spleen and go through the antigen challenge to become a helper
1: T cell. So it might be a red blood cell. Some sort of superhero, maybe a transformer, and you know, maybe basically, if it's a maybe Power Ranger cell or a
0: Power Ranger, it started as a myeloid cell. Got it. By the way, the antigen challenge is a real. I didn't make that term up. That's really what T cells have to go through to become T cells.
1: Heroic. So as is common when a person like Brown is diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia, doctors, well, you know, they first tried to kill off all of these infected blood cells using radiation. And in Brown's case, that didn't eradicate the cancer. So the doctors opted to deliver two bone marrow transplants using marrow and myeloid cells from a healthy donor.
0: After the first transplant, Brown took a chance and stopped taking his antiviral medications. Typically, this would allow HIV to get back to replicating, and within a few weeks, the virus would be found all over the body again. But miraculously, that did not happen in Tim's case. The virus was seemingly gone from his body.
2: How did that happen? I mean, they didn't knock out every single one of Tim Brown's immune cells with the radiation because that didn't work and he would have died. Yeah, you can't live without. If you have zero immune cells, you're dead. Yeah. Yeah. So that means that the HIV had to still be around lurking in some of those immune cells. Why didn't the virus just beef up and start attacking the transplanted blood cells? Is this as crazy as it sounds?
1: Yes. Yes, this is as crazy as it sounds. And it's why we've only been able to successfully cure one, well, actually two, we'll get, that, we'll get to that in a minute, people ever on Earth of HIV. Brown's doctors expected that this treatment would work well, at least against leukemia, but they didn't expect it would work this well. And it actually took his doctors nearly eight more years to figure out how his body was able to effectively rid itself of the HIV virus. They think it's a combination of three
0: things that happened. First off, a terrifyingly huge percentage of the cells in Brown's immune system were really wiped out. First by HIV, then by blood cancer, and then by radiation. Brutal.
1: Second, it's very likely that Brown experienced what is known as graft-versus-host disease, in which the transplanted cells view the body's original cells as intruders and kill them off. Usually this is not a very great medical issue to have to have, but when your original immune cells happen to be infected with the human immunodeficiency virus, well, this is kind of a nice scenario. It's kind
0: of crazy, isn't it? I mean, usually if you get a transplanted liver, you don't want it to attack you, but in this case it worked (laughs) in his advantage. Yeah. Third, Brown's oncologist, Jero Huter, took an experimental step when treating his leukemia. Huter found blood from a donor who had a rare genetic mutation that, in essence,
1: made that donor immune to HIV.
2: Wait, you can be immune to HIV?
1: Well, as much as you can be, and only if you have this specific mutation. This mutation, it, what it does is it changes the shape of a protein called CCR5, the one we mentioned earlier, uh, which is the one that attaches that HIV attaches to and uses to sneak its way through into the cell. HIV is specifically shaped to attach to regular CCR5 proteins, the way a Sonic the Hedgehog cartridge is specifically shaped to fit into the Sega Genesis console. So if the cartridge doesn't quite fit into the port, if it's not quite the right shape, well, you can't play the game. The CCR5 mutation
0: shows up in about 1% of Caucasians and then in like a lower percentage in other ethnicities. Researchers hypothesize that there is a connection between this genetic mutation and the bubonic plague, as there's <laughs> lots of evidence that HIV immunity is passed down from Europeans who survived that plague outbreak 700 years ago. Um, but there's some disagreement about what that connection is exactly. It's pretty fascinating. It's a, it's a cool site. This sight. is like a
1: whole thing about how one disease can be your friend if you have another disease.
0: Yeah. Well, Weird. we'll get into that later, actually. It comes into play because, yeah, you're
1: like, we did We did it. We survive the plague oh now we have HIV (laughs) right what's next but in any case the exciting thing here is that when Tim Brown was given a bone marrow transplant full of stem cells that had HIV immunity well they knocked out the remainder of his own infected immune cells and effectively cured him of his HIV infection
2: that's amazing so when can we start using this therapy on other people
1: (sighs) okay well that's the
0: trouble Wiping out Brown's immune system brought him, like, basically to the brink of death. Like, they did not know if he was going to survive. The only reason the doctors took a chance and killed what few white blood cells he had left after HIV had ravaged them was because they knew that he had a cancer that was going to kill those cells anyway. Like, he was, the chances
1: that he was going to die were pretty high. Right. Like, do nothing, you die. Do something, you probably will die, but maybe not. Exactly. Overall, this is an extreme risk to take to cure HIV in an era when antiviral medications can keep a person with HIV alive and relatively healthy to an average, you know, 70 years old, taking your pick, maybe yeah. going to probably die, but could be cured or live till 70 taking these antiviral drugs. Mm-hmm.
2: Right. Because why take that kind of a risk if I don't have a cancer that's also threatening me with imminent death if I do nothing? Yes, yeah. exactly. That's uh, the trade off.
0: Plus, according to a Live Science article from 2011, nearly a third of patients who are given the bone marrow transplants end up
1: dying. So it's like a really super risky treatment. Right. No matter which way you look at it, bone marrow transplants are are no, no small fry. Yeah. Oh, and also they cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right.
0: They're expensive. Yeah. So that's why not everyone with HIV is doing this. Fair enough. But the main limiting factor to using this treatment to cure more HIV cases isn't the risk or the cost. It's actually finding donors with the right genetic code. At least three other patients with both HIV and leukemia, which it's crazy that there are three other patients, but there you go, were given bone marrow transplants.
1: And while they all saw an improvement in the viral levels in their body, none of them were cured. Unlike Tim Brown's transplants, the blood cells delivered to these patients did not have the genetic mutation that changed the CCR5 receptor. So the virus was still able to attach to and invade the new immune cells.
2: But if I understand correctly, there has been a second person, the London patient, has just recently been cured of HIV. And that's why we're talking about the subject in the first place. So how come the London patient got better and these three other people didn't? Did he get the blood cells with the CCR5 mutation too? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. The London patient, who's
0: remaining anonymous, had Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is another type of cancer that affects the immune cells. The cancer was not responding to regular chemotherapy, so just like Brown, this London patient needed a bone marrow transplant. And the doctors procured a donation from someone with the CCR5 mutation, and the London patient is, as of March, the second person ever cured of HIV infection.
1: While this is great, it's definitely not the end game we want, because it's not really an effective cure if you also have to develop a deadly cancer in order for this cure to work.
0: And there's still, like, much work and science to be done if we're going to find a reasonable way to combat and eradicate HIV.
2: Well, what about working towards immunity? I heard that through gene editing, we might eventually be able to give birth to babies that are just immune to the virus— Instead of looking for better medicine, is it reasonable to consider instead putting energy towards eradicating our ability to be infected?
1: Oh, uh, yes. You're referring to what happened last year when a Chinese researcher reported that he had done something that was either amazing or morally abominable, depending on how you look at it. He had created the first gene-edited human babies. Is that right?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Using the biotechnology CRISPR, uh, this researcher manipulated the
0: DNA of twin embryos so that, among other things, they were immune to the human immunodeficiency virus. And just to make things more interesting, he used egg cells from a healthy mother and sperm cells from a man who tested positive for HIV
1: infection. CRISPR itself is actually a short strand of DNA we harvest from bacteria. It was invented by evolution for the purpose of locating and snipping out viruses that have infiltrated host DNA. This tiny warrior is equipped with DNA scissors, that's really true, as well as a key that only fits into one lock, the particular sequence of DNA base pairs that demarcate the beginning of a virus.
0: Regardless of how you feel about gene editing as like an ethical issue, what we humans have been able to do with CRISPR is like objectively pretty cool. We figured out how to isolate this little DNA snippet and change the shape of the key
1: that it's holding to pretty much whatever we want. So this researcher changed the CRISPR key to fit into the human gene that codes for that CCR5 protein, you know, that little carrier protein on the surface of our immune cells that the HIV shimmies through like a shapeshifter. And voila, no CCR5 protein and no way for HIV to enter our immune cells. There's a lot of implications to knocking this gene out though. The CCR5
0: protein, it shows up in other cells as well. Um, One notable place is that it shows up on cortical neurons of a person who has recently had a stroke. And in fact, recent research has pointed towards the idea that knocking out the CCR5 proteins from those neurons allows stroke patients to recover their motor control and their cognitive abilities much faster.
2: So far, everything you've told me about CCR5 makes it sound terrible. It lets HIV into our immune cells. It prolongs stroke recovery. So it sounds like disabling that gene is a really good thing. Well, the point is not that
1: CCR5 is bad. The point is that it clearly has more than one function in the body. So those that hang out on the surface of our T-helper immune cells don't just exist to let HIV in the door. They also have these other very important jobs of doing things like receiving hormonal messages sent by other cells. So by
0: getting rid of our ability to synthesize the CCR5 protein, we're not only creating HIV-resistant humans, we're also introducing into the human gene pool, like, some physiological changes, but we probably won't figure out what they are for a while, maybe months, maybe years, maybe generations. And maybe allowing patients to recover from strokes faster, I mean, who knows what that does? Maybe it stunts the healing of some other part of the body. Maybe immunity to HIV leaves us susceptible to some other worse disease, like the plague, um, which is... Actually, the opposite of how it actually worked. Those, those people who were immune to the plague also, they think, are the people that have immunity to HIV. But I'm saying it's possible, you know. And we don't know how that's changing the human genome.
1: So the answer to the question, can we make humans who can't get HIV? Is yes, we can. But as to whether or not we should, or if doing so will put those people at risk for other problems, well, that's a more complicated question, and it will take years of research and moral debates to answer. Does that answer your question? Oh, totally. <laughs> At least we're getting somewhere, though.
0: I'm glad we can finish up with our two-parter about HIV with something that's, like, a positive note.
1: Yep. The more resources we pour into research and the more we support science, the better chances we have of finding solutions for diseases like HIV that are so deadly. Jill, thank you so much for being with us today for this
2: conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I had a really good time.
1: We hope all of you out there listening were able to learn something new and enjoy yourselves along the way. We are ever grateful to you guys for tuning in and for loving science.
0: Everything is Interesting is brought to you by a collaboration between X-Ray FM
1: and Science Project, the Portland-based nonprofit helping to spread enthusiasm for science. You can find this and all of our episodes at our website, everythingisinteresting.org, on the X-Ray Podcast Network, xraypod.com, and as a subscribable show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, thank you to
0: our magnificent production team, Amalia Boyles and Jenny Alpaw. Are behind-the-scenes wizards who turn our science ramblings into what you hear today. Something with...
1: Less rambling. Less rambling. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Until next time, I'm Kira Klingenberg. And I'm Kira Lindenberg. We will see you next episode of Everything's Interesting right here on X-Ray FM, where radio and science is yours.